Hello, hello, and welcome to Transmission, the AlphaCo Marketing and Media Podcast. We're really excited to have you guys today, and I am so excited to be joined by Juan Pablo Osorio, our CEO. Juan Pablo, how are you? I'm doing very well, so happy to uh, be with you and our audience as well. It's really exciting to be here for our second podcast. Um, hopefully, we've got some of the the jitters out of our system. Definitely plan on, on growing with the pod as we go, but I know that that first one, I was nervous. I had the butterflies in my stomach. How about you? Oh, for sure. I still have the butterflies right now, <laughs> but uh, absolutely, you know, I like to hop in the pool and try to swim, uh, and I, I'm doing just that, so Again, grateful for the opportunity and for the listeners and to be here with you. They call it a, a trial by fire, I think. Um, it's definitely a, definitely something that I'm a fan of. I like to learn by doing, so so here we are. Um, what have you been up to since we, we last spoke on a pod? Man, I've been doing a little bit of fasting, daily fasting, and uh, clearing up my mind, and it's been good. It's been good for me on a personal side. On the professional side, uh, we've been... Real, 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 so let me stop you real quick, Juan Pablo. So why are you fasting? It's Ramadan right now, but maybe not everybody knows about that. So like, tell us a little bit more. Yeah, so uh, actually it's the 28th day of Ramadan right now. And I've been fasting for, the, uh, for Ramadan. And yeah, it's really good. It's a whole month fast where you don't consume any food, no water, no cussing, no lying, no backbiting, no sex. Nothing during the day, the hours of the day, but uh, once the night hits, it's up to you how you break your fast. Uh, I usually do it with three dates and some water, prayer, and then uh, join uh, dinner with my family, which is an amazing every night. It's like a, a communal party. Yeah, and then clearing up my mind, I've actually stopped listening to music. I haven't watched movies. I only watch Formula One and UFC three times okay all right all right so you're spending a lot of time thinking about marketing that's what you're saying yes 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 <laughs> for sure that's really interesting i was um i've been reading this book called think like a monk and a big part of what he kind of talks about there is putting yourself through challenges whether it's like oftentimes they're physical but it's like force yourself to be uncomfortable because in those moments of discomfort you can really find out a lot about who you are so that's really interesting to me. Oh, yeah. It's definitely been a challenge for me. Uh, it's been doing this fast. The first few weeks are harder now. By now, my body's used to it. But uh, yeah, you get the first day, you get a headache. You get the cravings. You want X, Y, Z. But it's a practice. And by the fourth week, you've kind of conditioned your body, your mind, and your spirit to know that you're in control. And I think that is part of the big goal of it or purpose behind it. Yeah, that's amazing. I've got to say, I, I do get like headaches and jitters, though, when we're not potting. So I'm familiar with that. You know, it's been, <laughs> it's been three, three weeks since we last potted and it's been nothing but headaches and, and excitement to get back on. How about you, man? How what you been up to? Oh, just a busy time in life right now. My my wife and I are looking to to buy a home here soon. So have been spending some time kind of learning about that. And that that's always interesting experience because you learn so much about other people really you learn a lot about how people like to decorate their homes what they think of like you know what's a good neighborhood to somebody else is just not necessarily the same thing to you and so it's been a, a huge learning experience it's also been a real learning experience for how to navigate at the end of the day my wife and I were different people um, we're like-minded in a lot of ways but we have to have a lot of conversations where we are compromising in a positive way to find new solutions and that's that's a skill that I think is always worth building. So it's been busy, but it's been fun. 
Yeah, it reminds me of marketing a little bit, uh, getting a choosing a home because there are so many things, so many parts of a home that you could uh, buy. But again, you cannot have everything. So you have to choose what are the few things that you absolutely must have. And then you kind of compromise the rest. Yeah, and I, I love that kind of like what I would call more traditional grassroots boots on the ground marketing, because for us, I, it can be really easy to get high minded and think about digital ads or SEO. But you know, if you go look at a house and you're talking to a realtor, maybe they put it on the internet, but what they're really doing is they're trying to stage the house in a way that it connects with you emotionally. And I think that's a really good reminder of what we should all be doing, which is like, you need to make people feel something when you like write a piece of copy or you show an advertisement because we're people and people do make intellectual decisions, but more than that, they make emotional decisions. And so if you can make somebody fall in love with something that you create or show or write, that's marketing, right? Um, and it can be easy to miss the forest for the tree sometimes. Yeah, my uh, marketing professor, uh, Dr. Pettit, would say the best marketing is when you have people feeling, but that is not easy to accomplish. And they feel something that it's when you know you got something special in your messaging. That's exactly right. You know, with that, I think that might be a reasonable segue. I'm going to have to improve on my segues as we do this. The segue into our kind of main main topic here, which is the idea of how is AI affecting marketing? You know, a little bit of the world, but mostly how is AI affecting digital marketing specifically? I know I have some views on that, which is to say not as much as everybody thinks right now. But tell me what you think, Juan Pablo. Man, so AI is very exciting uh, and it's moving fast. We've already in the fourth generation of ChatGPT that just was released recently. I've seen some colleagues starting to use it. My view, my feeling so far, it's that it can enhance your work. It can enhance uh, idea gathering. It can do a lot of homework for you, but uh, it doesn't have a soul. And you have to bring your soul into the messaging. AI is never going to have a soul, so it might be able to put a few keystrokes together and ideas. But uh, really, when you're able to digest that through your brain and your heart and put it out to the world in a way that's original to you, it can be a great helper. You know, I've started to use it uh, myself to gain some ideas and not necessarily for content that we do for clients. I know some of our staff members may use it. I don't have it write my proposals or anything yet, <laughs> but it, it does uh, help me do research. And yeah, it's been positive uh, for me. It's an enhancer. It's a tool that you can use to enhance your life, your professional life. Yeah, I, that, that's really interesting. That's kind of, it's really easy for me to see that there are changes coming um, and that definitely it's a piece of technology that can do a lot and is going to continue to evolve. That being said, I think I would stop at Enhancer. I'm not sure that it, it has the ability to do a whole lot more than that yet, at least. You know, this is a pretty anecdotal, but taking this back to the, the home search, we were going to look at a bunch of different houses. And so we were putting together like a route. And one of the things that I had read that these AI tools could do is they could help you put together like really quickly, a really efficient route if you gave it a list of addresses. And I did, and it gave me a route. And I was a little skeptical, so I plugged it into Google Maps. And let me tell you, that was not the fastest route. It had me going on like a four hour long journey that by the time I was done fixing it was about an hour. So it definitely does some things, but it's not some of the, one of the things that I've been reading about is this idea that in order for it to work, in order for it to feel more human, they actually had to give it the ability to lie. And so it kind of will make things up. And that's really interesting to me because if, if the AI can lie to you, what's the value of the AI? Like if it's not going to be 
infallible, what's its point? And, and so that's something that I've really been thinking about is like, how much can you trust something like this if you can't trust it? What value does it have if you can't trust the outputs that it provides you? Because it's not faster if I have to go and I have to get, I have to double check the work of the AI, right? Yes, you know, that's a very interesting point because uh, from what I've uh, uh, gained and gathered from colleagues using it is that it's a great tool if you're already a professional, if you have knowledge on the topic, because you can correct the mistakes, you can catch them. But if you don't know the topic and you just rely on it, let's say you're going to have a speech, you better be careful. If you don't have deep knowledge on the topic and you're relying 100% on what the AI is telling you, you're going to end up lying to people and giving wrong information. So it's it works really well if you are already well knowledgeable on the topic sure. and you can correct you can correct the AI. And it even tells you when you open ChatGPT that it has it, it has wrong information and it has disclaimers now. That's true, but I don't know. I, I'm always dubious to that stuff like gmail's been in beta for 15 years you know like people <laughs> nobody thinks about gmail as being in beta but that, i think that some of that's just like a trick that big tech companies like to pull to be like yeah it's not done yet so that you can't hold us accountable for all the things it does wrong but no you're, you're totally right one of the things that i i'm kind of thinking about and really sticks with me about ai and i i wish i could attribute this correctly it was on a podcast and i think it was one of the podcast guests what they said was that AI isn't smart. It's not intelligence. It's really fast. It's way, way, way faster than human beings are. And so what it does is when you ask it a question, it quickly evaluates like all of this massive wealth of information and knowledge. But what it's excellent at is speed, not necessarily accuracy or correctness, right? And so if you think about it that way, if you think about AI as not necessarily being smart, but just being quick, I think it really does help to lead you to the ways that AI can be useful, like ChatGPT could be useful, is don't think of it as, I'm sure we're all sci-fi fans here, but like I've read Asimov, I don't think that it's going to be the answer, right? I don't think it's going to be the world mind, but I do think that there's ways that you can, can use it. Yeah, so I, I was just thinking about this. Um, the best way to use AI is if you have already a business idea or prototype and you can get the language learning model and apply it to your data, to your own specific data. Like not just use the public-facing ChatGPT, but use the learning language model for data. Let's say you have big data and you have a lot of data that to sift through and you teach it how to sift through that specific source of data. So kind of grabbing their software, bringing it to your ideas, that's the best way that AI is being utilized. Uh, There's so many businesses popping up doing just that. There was most recently, this people were paying an app, you upload your photos and then it will give you some images that make you look really cool. Yeah. The founders of that app, they just really use AI that was already out there and just told it, I want you to do this specific type of portraits. So the connecting was already available with user-generated photos that output something that's constricted, but people were paying $10 each, and there was millions of users who used this. So the founders of that tool, that app, ended up winning tremendously yeah. because they didn't have to go create AI from the beginning. They just used what was already there, 
they marketed, they put a marketing and a brand behind it. People bought onto it and they started posting on social media. So then it made their friends want to do it. And boom, you have multi-million dollar founders over a period of a couple of months because of the way the AI was used. This is also being used across other verticals. That's fascinating though, right? Like that's kind of the idea of like, I mean, sure, the company who created ChatGPT is fiscally very, very, very successful. But you see a company who didn't necessarily do anything other than like, take an existing product and brand it. It's almost like drop shipping or something. It's almost like they were like, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to take your AI and we're going to slap our really cool logo on it. And now, we're, you know, we have a different unique product. That's really interesting. You did hit on something that I thought was, was kind of cool. And again, kind of going back to the idea that, you know, personally, I don't think that it's right to be super duper afraid of AI. Like, I don't think it's out here coming for our jobs. But you kind of mentioned the data and, and insights and that's one of the areas that I do think AI has some some benefit is taking it back to the idea that it's it's fast, not smart, right? And so it can take jobs or information that's just too big for you to get your arms around, at least without hours and hours and hours of time and analysis. And it can really condense that time. So like something that, for example, I've used it for successfully is like, all right, I need to write a new email. And instead of writing a whole email, I'll write one sentence to chat GPT. It'll spit out the words. And then I just have to go back and edit it, right? And in editing, I'm able to add the soul. Okay, kind of add that human element that I think is important. But what it does save me is it saves me the time of actually literally typing. It's like it, it saves labor, but it doesn't necessarily save. And I don't think it's wise to think about it as saving you know, mental capacity or replacing our ability to think. Yeah, like you become, you go from writer to editor and editing, at least for me, writing was a big, I had like writer blocks my whole life, but uh, now I'm, I'm able to use it and just go into edit mode and I'm better at just editing and moving sentences around and changing words. So for me, it helps me because it overcomes the first hurdle of just putting something on the paper. I think that's like a really smart and, and a, probably the best way to think about it right now is it's like, it's an aid. It's a brainstorming aid or it's a like a speed aid, but it, it certainly doesn't do the job for you. And I don't think it really replaces anybody's job either, at least not yet, because you still need somebody there. I don't know, you know, like kids can be smart. A 15 year old can be extraordinary at math but their parents still have to take them to school, right? Like, and I, that's kind of how I think of, of this AI. It's like, yeah, I, I can ask it, like maybe able to spit out some math calculations for me really, really, really quick, but I still want to go back and I want to read that and make sure that it didn't say five plus five equal 11. Yes, you know, it's very interesting that they're starting to use AI to swift through data and diagnosis in the medical field, and it would give out not an official medical diagnosis, but based on previous cases that are being uploaded to the open AI software tool, it's starting to spit out, okay, this is what's possible based on the data point, based on the, all the blood tests and the tests that were performed. This would be three or four different diagnoses that this person may have. So I think it's, it's very interesting how it's being used in the medical field, in the legal field, also with contracts. I was going to um, say the same thing. Yeah, there's like a, in, I think it's called like do not pay, no free advertising. Um, but there's a, there's a company out there that you can sign up and like you give them access to different, like tell, you know, all right, I work with Comcast for my bill and they'll go and it'll read the contract and it'll say, okay, I can get you $10 off this bill. 
and it does that for like speeding tickets, track all this stuff. It just goes in and it, because if you think about laws, it's literally just written words. And so that's kind of exactly what it's good at, which is reading all of that information and then telling you this is the truth. It doesn't have to determine what truth is. We've done that. It just tells you what the law says the truth is, right? And you know, on those industries, we do have a, a vast portfolio of clients in, in the medical. We have some in the legal field. And um, even to this day, we don't use it to write our blogs because of the erroneous, possible erroneous messaging. I, I do want to take this opportunity. I think this is a good time to transition and like really bring this back to like marketing and what we do. And you're saying that like blogs, it's not wise. It's not good to have ChatGPT write our blogs. Why is that? Yeah, so part of our Alpha Coast Forte is SEO and doing it in a bilingual manner with SEO in Spanish and English. And we might even go trilingual in the future. But as of now, we have writers who have experience in the field, write content, human-made content for search engine optimization, which is the art of ranking on Google. And um, Google, they reward whoever's providing content to the internet. So if you have a standalone website that's five, six pages and you never do anything to it, you're going to be somewhere in the back pages of the trillions of pages that are in the internet. But if you're the type of website that's posting an article every week or a blog weekly or multiple times a week, Google will start ranking you and putting you on the first page because you're giving content to the internet. You're providing valuable content to the conversation. So we have writers, human writers, who have experience either medical field or legal field, write content, blogs, articles that we post to our clients' websites. If we try to do that with ChatGPT, Google will start flagging that content as AI generated. So it would actually be counterintuitive. The Google calls it black flags and white flag. White flag is you do things right, you write content that's not stolen, you didn't just copy and pasted it from Wikipedia or another website. It's user-generated content that is original. But once you start using AI or you start plagiarizing or copy and pasting, Google is very smart. Google itself is an AI, an algorithm that's continuing to learn. And it's very smart and very fast. And it would catch those. Uh, it, it can catch the backcode. Like if you copy and paste, it knows based not on the letters that you see, but on the codes that it carries, when you paste it, it can tell you the source, where it was copied from, if it was on Word, if it was on Google Docs. All of this is carried on the on the backend code. Uh, so the same thing is happening with AI. Google is able to, uh, for, for as far as search engine optimization, if you're relying on chat GPT or other AI tools to write your content, uh, pretty soon it's going to get black flag and it might be counterintuitive to your marketing efforts. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've already seen some of that where we've seen, so we've run some tests and we've kind of done side-by-sides of an AI written article and a human written article. And the human written article performs just way, way, way better than the AI written article from an SEO standpoint, which is fascinating that we're already there and they can already do that. But I do think kind of shows what we've been talking about, which is that it's, it's a great aid, but it's not a replacement. You know, something I think about a lot. So I, I describe and talk about SEO a lot. And I, I tend to describe it as like the high school yearbook. It's like, all right, did you show up? Were you involved in events and activities? Were you in a lot of groups? And who are your friends? Did you have popular friends? Because if so, 
all of those things mean that you're really likely to end up in the high school yearbook. Using AI would kind of be like, yeah, I went to class, but I slept through the whole thing. And yeah, I joined a lot of organizations, but I only showed up to a few of them or I sent like my twin brother there <laughs> to, to do it and, and pretend. Um, I don't know the exact right metaphor or comparison here, but you're not showing up. Like actually what SEO wants to see is are you being a good citizen of the internet? And if you aren't being a good citizen of the internet, and I would argue that passing off AI work as your own is potentially being a bad citizen of the internet, then you're not going, like, it's not going to promote you. It's not going to put you on the first page and you're not going to show up and you're not going to get the benefit that you wanted out of SEO, right? What are some of the, like, the, you know, things that we think it could be better at? One of the things I was reading about um, over the last couple of weeks is just, like, better targeting for ads, we're already seeing AI in like ads targeting. How do you see that, that trend going? Yeah, so like we were just mentioning earlier, if you're writing ad copy, you might be able to get some ideas from the AI generated content, but you have to put your soul into it. You cannot just copy and paste it. You actually have to rewrite everything from scratch. You might be looking at a screen and gathering some ideas that popped up. If you know what you're talking about, then you can confirm that or fix whatever errors are in the AI generated text, but you still have to just grab pen and, pen and paper or, or uh, finger to keystroke and write original content. Uh, for what we see, it's, it's you being used to write content, but again, you shouldn't copy and paste it. You should grab the ideas, confirm, and then put your own soul into it. And it's right. being used to also beyond just writing copy, on the strategy of where and who to market to. It, like you might ask it to give you, oh, what are the, the, the best demographics to target this product to? And it might go in the internet and find some data. So it can give you some insights on how to set up your targeting. Sure. But still you have to go verify it and make sure that you're not just spending money for something that AI spit up. This is, it kind of reminds me like one of the first things we tell basically every client we've ever worked with when we're building a website, when we're building a marketing plan is look, this should be a representation of you. This should be a representation of who you are, who you think your clients are. Like, what is it? Like, what do you want your business to look like? Who do you want your clients to be? What personality is that going to have? And that's what we should do, right? So we go and we take pictures of their offices and make sure that they're all smiling and happy and everybody's having a good time. We really do try and communicate what is unique about physician, the lawyer, the restaurant, whoever it is we're working with. We're not trying to put out just some boilerplate thing that, you know, an AI could have come up with. We are trying to communicate a little bit of the soul of that, of that place, of that person when we market them online. And so I, I don't see how we're ever going to be able to replace that. Humans are social animals. And I think that humans will always want to see and feel more than see, like feel like they're going to see a human who understands them. That to me is something that I think humans will always crave. And so it'll always be a part of marketing. One kind of last thing I wanted to talk about in AI, it's kind of far off in the future, but I think it's, it's really interesting, is this idea of hyper-personalized marketing. And so the idea here, and we've already seen a little bit of it where like if you're scrolling through Instagram or you're on the internet, you get personalized ads. This is like taking that even one step further where it's like, all right, you're, it's not a hyper-personalized ad. Your hyper-personalized ad is now a picture of you in the shorts that it wants you to buy out there surfing. And so it's showing you yourself 
in these shorts surfing because that's that's how fast and quickly AI can work, right? That to me, you know, I think we're a long way off from that, but that's really fascinating. That's a really interesting concept of being so good that like Juan Pablo, you and I will never see the same ad. So in 15 years, I could live my whole life only seeing ads for J Crew because apparently I wear a lot of J Crew, uh, and you could see t- some totally, totally different. And that's that's really interesting because what happens when we lose those shared experiences? Like ads are actually a shared experience. Like that is actually something that does create kind of the social pop cultural fabric that we're all drawing on as we relate to one another. So what happens if that goes away? For me, I see. And I, I just saw this movie, which we'll, we'll talk about, but like I just saw the movie Air, talks about Air Jordans. But what if, I, you know, I'm a Kevin Durant fan. What if for me, it's always the Air Durant and I only ever see the Air Durant and you, Juan Pablo, you know, you're a Chris Paul fan. So you only ever see the Air Paul and we just, we never cross. It's like two, two ships in the night who never see each other. That's really interesting to me. Yes, I think it's fascinating that, you know, we go from an email that has your name and you think it's written for you, but it was really not to seeing ourselves in an ad. And I mean, I think marketers can exploit this. People want to see themselves. People, it's like a human psyche thing. Uh, so even though we might lose the shared experience, we might still have know that we both got an ad for air and you had ourselves in it, jumping in a, in the air with the, with hitting the hoop. Yeah. Um, so it might be still somewhat shared, but more personalized. And to me, this is fascinating and exploiting something human that uh, especially in our culture now that everything is about us and we want to see ourselves and we want to hear our name and marketers will definitely exploit this. You know, social media was created for marketers. Although people, I once I started marketing, I realized that these tools, even Google was created for marketing. 90, over 95% of the revenue comes from ads revenue. So these tools are for marketers. It's just the people, if they feel good and they like it, then definitely gives a, a chance for successful marketing campaigns or the exploitation of the human psyche, however you want to see it. For sure. I mean, everybody's <laughs> favorite word is their own name, right? Yes, yes. So it wouldn't be surprising when they see their own selves jumping in the air with some new shoes. We might get different colors, but nevertheless, both of us might be jumping in the air. For sure. So we're kind of coming up on the amount of time that we have for the the pod today. But something that I want to do every time we have one of these pods is is talk a little bit about like something going on pop culturally, something that you're engaged with that I'm engaged with. And like, how does that affect marketing or relate it back to marketing a little bit? Because I think that part of our jobs and part of what we need to do as marketers is, is stay on top of trends, understand what's going on in the world in the marketplace and then relate that back to what we do. So Juan Pablo, what what have you read since we last spoke, read, watched, seen, whatever, since we last spoke that is interesting to you, that relates back to marketing, that you've kind of been thinking about, you know, for AlphaCo here? So I want to do a quick experiment. I have I recently read this book called The Everything Store, the story of Jeff Bezos and the age of Amazon by uh, Brad Brad Stone and I love to read founder books. I've read Phil Knight about the founder of Nike. I've read Elon Musk. I've read Steve Jobs. I had to read Jeff Bezos and uh, gain a new respect for him as a a businessman. I guess I talked about it uh, on the last podcast, but I wanted to do an experiment now that I asked ChatGPT to give me some of the five main takeaways from the book, but I want to do a mix. I want to grab what ChatGPT is giving me, but then give it my soul, right? And here, like ChatGPT says, 
Number one is customer obsession. And I'm not going to read word by word. I'm going to bring in what I remember from the book. So customer obsession. Jeff Bezos, he was a data man. He may not have treated people the best way on a personal basis. But when it came to the Amazon business, he was maniacally obsessed with the customer and bringing value to the customer. And whenever he did, he negotiated a contract down with a supplier. He would go negotiate and negotiate and send more negotiators to bring down prices, especially as he ordered more and larger, larger orders. And his argument would be that we're going to pass on the savings to the customer. It's not going to be for more profit for Amazon. No, we're actually going to lower the price of these books for people. And a great story from the book is the Harry Potter series. They used to be sell. They used to sell in the store for thirty dollars, and he said we're gonna release this Harry Potter for like ten dollars. And the publishers were like, we're gonna lose money. The author said we're gonna lose money, and he was yeah, but the customers will love it, and we're gonna save the customer money, which would then would make them wanna buy more. And this strategy, a lot of people fought it. The book association got together and tried to stop it, but he was so obsessed with customer obsession he was more obsessed with bringing value to the customer that he ended up winning on the long run some people lost some people won but as far as him in the business and the story of amazon it was a a super win uh, yeah. a lot of small bookstores closed that's the downside of it but you know times change and he was right there in the forefront number two innovation uh here ChatGPT says that amazon has constantly innovated and marketing strategies to hit ahead stay ahead of competition for example amazon pioneer online product recommendations customer reviews which have become industry standard and um yeah from what i recall from the book the in, in, on the innovation side during the dot-com bubble a lot of companies that were similar on the front end to amazon they busted but uh, jeff bezos was always investing his profits into innovating technologies big data he was gathering all this data that was coming in and analyzing it and reinvesting on it one of those data points was the customer reviews he learned they learned based on data that the more customer reviews a product had the more likely it was to be purchased so he didn't just see the data analytics and left it alone like oh wow it's good no he put teams that he would set up a whole new department of amazon that would just be geared towards making that experience better developers okay. hired the best engineers so innovation uh he was willing to put dollars team members hire people create new departments that didn't exist behind innovation data-driven marketing here ChatGPT says amazon vast drove of customer data has enabled the company to make data-driven marketing decisions by analyzing customer behavior amazon can offer personalized recommendations target advertising more effectively and optimize pricing and promotions and yes, Amazon was Jeff Bezos with his team was able to actually create. There was they, they figured out that customer would spend more money if they had recommendations at the bottom of a product that they were buying. And then furthermore, they would get emails. Oh, you bought J. Crew shirt. Here's some more gear that you would like. So it would increase how much money a person spent per month. And a big part of this push was at some point when they came out with Prime. And it was like, again, people said, you're going to lose money. You're going to lose money. He said, people who had Prime were more likely to spend like 10 times more yeah. <laughs> on Amazon yeah. Yeah. than those without a Prime. So 
he looked at data, he looked at what customer behaviors, and he was able to create programs, even at a loss at first, but using data that allowed more people to spend more money on the Amazon. Sure. So like for you, the, the story of Amazon is that like emotions are important and understanding like human behavior is super important, but that you can leverage data to do that, right? Like don't ignore data just because you like you want to tell people how good Coke tastes. Like figure out where people want to buy Coke and go tell those people how good Coke tastes. Yes, exactly, exactly. You got to implement it in a way that for him, it was how can it be easier for the customer to buy more from Amazon? And he had to do a, a, a gradual approach. He started with books, then he started adding categories, and eventually it became the everything store. And that was the vision. Yeah. People didn't even see it. People didn't even believe it at the time. They were like, you're crazy for wanting to compete against Barnes and Nobles. And he's like, I don't want to compete against Barnes and Nobles. I want to compete against everybody. <laughs> And yeah, two last tips. Uh, the ChatGPT says branding and diversification. On the branding, he says a constant messaging. ChatGPT says Amazon has built a strong brand through consistent messaging and focus on quality. Uh, the company's logo, packaging, and website all convey a sense of trust and reliability, which has helped Amazon stand out in the crowded marketplace. I want to say about branding on Amazon that at the beginning, 10, 15 years ago, it was like one of the brands, but uh, even recently I started seeing it on, my son was playing video games on uh, uh, Roblox and they had a Roblox billboards with Amazon and like they are, they're thinking way ahead, getting the next generation to, to, for us, it was a brand that was introduced for the next generation is a brand that they live with. They, they don't know a world without sure. Amazon the way yeah, like us in Walmart. we did. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, and I uh, think they're, they're just not looking at data. They're also pushing a lot on their brand and they're, they're ahead of competing against really crushing many other brands. And diversification here is saying that it's, it expanded beyond its original core business of retail to arrange products of services, streaming, video, and cloud computing. Uh, I want to say that um, we use Amazon hosting uh, Amazon Web Services for hosting for some of our websites. Yeah. And I know that that's become a huge revenue generator. We actually also use, uh, me and my son, we go on uh, streaming platforms to when we play video games. Amazon paid a billion dollars to Twitch, to the founders of Twitch, to own Twitch. Uh, so they're diver definitely diversifying into all areas of life. Almost every product that I use in the past has an Amazon basics, uh, <laughs> a counterpart. Yeah, that's exactly so right. They are not scared of diversifying and stamping their logo in another product that might not have made sense. In the NBA, they teach you, you got to stick with what you know in your core business. And Jeff Bezos with this business acumen and stoutness that he has, he was not afraid to put Amazon basics into a computer bag and sell it on the Amazon. For sure. Bringing more value to the customers. Yeah. yeah, no, but he was, he knew his clients. He understood people, you know, that, and you, you mentioned Phil Knight. So that kind of brings me to, to what, what I wanted to talk about, which was the movie air. The story of the movie air to me is about really understanding like your market and who you're marketing to, you know, that the movie is all about how Nike, which was at the time, like a running shoe company was trying to break into to basketball and was effectively failing over and over and over and over again. Um, and so eventually what they decide to do is they kind of, at the time it was a pretty harebrained scheme, which is they want to try and sign Michael Jordan, who they didn't think they could afford. They didn't think was realistic. It totally broke the mold 
of what their traditional strategy for marketing the basketball shoe had been. But they went all in on this. And one of the reasons why they had decided to do this is a like a strong belief in Michael himself and the value that he was going to be able to bring to the brand, but also an understanding of like kind of knowing your knowing your audience, knowing your client, knowing that this was the type of person and this was the type of shoe that people were going to want to buy. Now, to be sure, it far exceeded their expectations, but it all started from a place and an understanding of, we know our audience, we know who wants to buy this shoe, and they're not buying this shoe right now. So what can we do to, to like actually encourage people to buy this shoe? And what they did, and this is what's really fascinating, is they built the shoe around Michael. It was a representation of Michael Jordan's personality as a shoe, not a shoe that Michael Jordan happened to wear, which is what had traditionally been done up until that point. So up until they kind of changed the strategy back in the 80s, you know, Converse or Adidas or even Nike, they'd make a shoe and then they'd go get somebody, some basketball player to wear their shoe. But that shoe had nothing to do with that person. It had nothing to do with that player other than the fact that player would wear that shoe because the company paid them money. And what they did for Michael Jordan was they created the Air Jordan. They created a shoe around Michael. And it was about a shoe that represented this guy. And so what they're selling is not a shoe, but it's the idea that if you buy this shoe, you can be like Mike, which is a famous campaign from much later on that they, you know, that comes later. But at this moment, they've kind of figured out and distilled that the emotion they're looking to sell and to market is that you can be like one of the best. And you do that by wearing a shoe. And I think that's that's really, really cool. Just to, to wrap up, I did want to do something just kind of funny. Because you mentioned that you had had um, ChatGPT kind of help you, help to summarize the Bezos book. And I wanted to do the same. So I asked it to write me a summary about the movie Air, which is a movie all about Nike and Michael Jordan. I'm not going to read the whole response, but the top line response here from ChatGPT on the movie Air. I have asked it, what are your main takeaways from the movie Air? To which it replies, as an AI language model, I don't have personal opinions or emotions, but I can provide an objective summary of the movie Air. Here comes the summary. Air is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi thriller that takes place in a world where the air has become toxic and most of humanity has died. The remaining survivors live in underground bunkers and work as maintenance engineers tasked with keeping the life support systems running. I don't even know if that's a real movie. I'm afraid it may have just made up a movie called Air, or maybe there's an older movie called Air, but like this, this is sometimes what I'm talking about and what we're talking about. It's like, yeah, it can be helpful, but it can also tell, like, if I hadn't seen the movie and I asked it to summarize Air, I would have come to this talking about the wrong movie, uh, you know? And so it, it certainly is not infallible, right? That's grim. That's like uh, with the whole theories that I had articles that... ChatGPT is apocalyptic, uh, wants to destroy humanity, and right there is an example. <laughs> uh, something. We're going to have to find that movie. Like, what Man, about the Michael Jordan but, movie? <laughs> but you know that uh, I read that book, Shoe Dog. Highly recommend this book. Yeah. Uh, Phil Knight wrote it. And, yeah, you mentioned that. Um, he, at the time, when came into the running shoe, it was like Adidas and Puma owned the market. Now Nike owns 95% of the market. At the time when they came into basketball, Converse owned like 90% of the market. And now how many Converse do you see in a basketball court? I need to read uh, that book because the, the movie portrays Phil Knight almost as like an idiot savant. Like the way Ben Affleck yeah, yeah. portrays him is like as a guy who's achieved it, almost like a bum who just so happens to be really good at his job. It's it's really interesting. So I'd like to read the book and see how that compares to the real guy. I mean, uh, the book, it's, I mean, he wrote the book. He, he co-authored it with somebody, but uh, he's like a genius, a business genius, because he signed Michael Jordan at, in, I think in 86. 
and Michael Jordan came into the league at 84 or 85. So because they used to sponsor runners and put their shoes on, he knew that putting their marketing dollars behind athletes instead of just campaigns. Yeah. He wanted to do that. And he did that in the Olympics when he came out with the court with the Corteses. You know, he actually it was the Nike Aztecs, but he got sued by Puma or Adidas that already had an Aztec shoe. So he said, who was the one that colonized the Aztecs? Oh, Cortez, the Nike Cortez. He won a big legal battle with Japan company. Anyways, he did the same thing with basketball. He said, I'm going to put my money behind sponsoring an athlete that's excellent, but not a LeBron James, already LeBron James. So not Michael Jordan when he's already Michael Jordan. He, I don't know if he was him or one of his team members. It was part of their business model already to sponsor athletes. And when they trusted Michael Jordan, they put, I don't know if it was serendipity or they had data that Michael Jordan was going to be that good for that many years. But it was way before Michael Jordan won championships that they put the shoe on him. And I think that the strategy worked out very well because... If you look at a basketball court right now, how many Converse's and how many Nikes are there? Yeah. You just tell you the story. That's exactly right. I think we probably ought to, ought to wrap up here, but I would say it sounds like the story of everything, the everything store. Tell me the title of that book exactly. I, I think I just butchered that. <laughs> it's called The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon. Awesome. That and the movie Air would both be recommends for us, especially if you're in marketing or interested in marketing. And otherwise, Juan Pablo, it's great to talk with you as always and look forward to catching up on our next pod. Yes, thank you everybody for listening and tuning in. We really appreciate your time. And if you want to know more about us, visit alphacomarketing.com. Graham, it's been a pleasure to be with you today. Likewise, Juan Pablo. Talk with you later.